Hello, wrestling family. Welcome to Sound of Whistle with IHSA wrestling official Tony Clark. Each week, I will bring you interviews with prominent figures in the sport of high school wrestling. Welcome to Sound the Whistle with Tony Clark, and if you can't tell, I am not Tony Clark. I'm Susan Marie, back to host again. I'm so excited. Basically, Tony can't get rid of me, no matter how hard he tries. I just keep on coming back. And, dun-da-da-da, drum roll, I get to actually talk to the man himself, Tony Clark. Finally, he gets to be on the other end. He's no longer host today. He is the interviewee. So welcome the man, the myth, the legend himself, Tony Clark. Thank you, Season. <laughs> it's about time someone wanted to actually hear from me or at least talk to me about you know, something that I know. So this, this should be fun. <laughs> everybody wants to talk to you. They're probably just too intimidated to tell you, but I know that everybody wants to talk to you and hear from you because you've done everything in the wrestling world. You really have. You've accomplished, I guess I didn't realize how amazing you were until I started sitting down and asking you what your titles were because you've done it all. You've done it all. You've been a part of it all. I'm going to go, I'm going to go through right now his titles and Seriously, you're, you're going to get blown away. So sit down. If you're doing something, pause it so you can listen to all of this and just give the respect that all of these deserve. Um, first, of all, first of all, if I can you see, I'm, I'm so in awe of being next to you, I can't even speak anymore. Now, title-wise, you are the IHSA Head Clinician for Wrestling, the IKWF Wrestling Rules Director, the NFHS Wrestling Committee Section 4 Representative, the IWCOA Officials Director, the IWCOA Hall of Fame member, and if one Hall of Fame props wasn't enough, you've made it into the Hall of Fame twice by also being the National Wrestling Hall of Famer in the Illinois chapter. So where do we even start with this? Can you tell us what all of those titles mean for those of us like myself that don't actually know? Sure. Um, as the head clinician... For the IHSA in the sport of wrestling, uh, one of my duties is the training of all of our wrestling officials um, to make sure we are consistent from one end of the state to the other. As the IKWF rules director, I help ensure that our folk style rules are in line with the USA directives and also in line with the uh, modifications the IKWF has made here in our state. As the National Federation uh, Committee member for Section 4, I am a voting member. I represent uh, Wisconsin, Illinois, Iowa, Indiana, and Michigan. Um, I am their voice when it comes to do you like a rule change, don't you like a rule change. Um, that pretty much sums it up as far as those titles. So I love it. You, you, like you said, you're the voice. You're the voice of the wrestling officials and the wrestling people out there. That's impressive. True. And I mean, I've, I've had a pretty good career, things that have led me to this. Because um, I've also served the IHSA on the Officials Advisory Committee. I've served them on the Wrestling Advisory Committee. I've served... The IESA, I no longer have a title with them, but I've served Steve Inslee uh, for years on his committee, um, Wrestling Advisory Committee. So I, I, I've had a lot of 
practice in, in working at these committees and working with some some really outstanding people who uh, who I've learned a lot from that that have given me the tools that I need today to uh, do the things that I do. So speaking of some of these committees, so we, we talked about your titles in the IWCOA. For those that don't know what that is, what is that organization and what does it mean to be an official and be a part of the IWCOA? So the IWCOA, Illinois Wrestling Coaches Officials Association, is very unique organization in um, for our sport, unlike other sports, we have one organization that's, that represents all of the wrestling officials in this state. And one of their goals or one of their missions is the recruitment and training of wrestling officials. So what makes that so unique with this organization is, unlike other sports, we're not competing um, with other associations to train the officials. So we're able to keep our message consistent. We have one training program. Uh, the IWCOA has about 17 clinicians that I work with, including myself, and we teach all over the state. We, we use the same PowerPoints and videos for every official that comes to one of our training courses. So um, we are very, very consistent when we get to our state level uh, competitions. That's nice though, because consistency is key. So at least you know no matter where you are wrestling, it's all gonna be the same. It's, they're, they're practicing on the same rules, the same regulations. Correct. That makes a lot of sense. Yes. So why wrestling though? You've had this incredible career. You've achieved so many incredible milestones in your career as wrest in wrestling. Why did you choose wrestling? What brought you to this in the first place? Um. Not being very, it is, it is weird. Uh, I actually, back in middle school, so I've been like back in 1977, I actually tried out for the basketball team. Oh. And not being very tall, I mean, it, it was a challenge. Um, I had some coordination, but not, not enough to actually uh, succeed and make the cuts. So the wrestling coach at Neal Junior High who was a basketball player in his sports <laughs> life, but he had taken on the job of being the head wrestling coach at the junior high, had uh, saw saw me somewhere and said, hey, I heard you got cut. You didn't make the cut for uh, oh, no. wrestling. And he says, you're not very tall anyway. Or I got cut from the basketball team. He's like, you're not very tall anyway. Why don't you come out and give wrestling a shot? So I went. Um it was different. Never, never had even been exposed to it. My exposure to wrestling up until that point was uh, WWF. Uh, <laughs> I want to say Channel Forty Four back in the seventies with the uh, old nine-inch black and white TV. That's how we watched wrestling back in the seventies, and I, I had no concept. So I was really uh, confused when I walked in the room, and it didn't look like what I had seen on Channel Forty Four. So. Um, in middle school, junior high, that was my main sport. And then when I got to high school, um, I took up cross country. I also took up track. So I was a three-sport athlete. But wrestling um, is the one sport that's always held my attention. So I just like the I like 
as a wrestler, the challenge of two people enter the circle and, and one comes out victorious. I mean, that just was always fascinating for me. And I've just never looked back, never regretted doing it. And I don't know what life would, without wrestling would be for me at this point. Aww. What do you think it taught you? Oh, a lot of things. Um, it's taught me um, drive, determination, um, learn to pick yourself up. You know, no, no defeat is a setback. It's just a learning moment. Um, and I carry that all the way through. Um, nothing's impossible if you put your mind to it. It's just a work ethic that wrestling gives a person that makes us unique as wrestlers. Um, that same gift that wrestling gave me also allowed me to coach. I mean, I've coached that the IKWF level, I've coached at the IESA level, I've coached at the high school level um, to try to give my wrestlers that same drive and determination I got from wrestling uh, as a competitor. And I carry that same thing with me in my officiating. Um, I knew early on when I started officiating back in 1984, I knew what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to just be a guy that was just out there you know, sounding the whistle and making calls here and there. I wanted to be that guy that got down there on the state floor and got to walk in that Grand March because I did not get to walk in that Grand March as a high school wrestler. I didn't qualify for state. So I wanted to see what that Grand March was all about. And I could only do that as, as a referee. So I set my sights on doing that. Um, and I think I achieved that. My first Grand March would have been 1995. Do you remember it? I mean, what was that feeling like in oh, 1995, the first gosh. time? <laughs> it was nerve-wracking um, to walk in that crowd and to follow up the wrestlers who were on that floor uh, year after year. It is mind-blowing. It is mind-boggling. Um, I guess it would be... It, for me, it's my equivalent of what the, the higher-level... Um, athletes and officials feel when they, you know, when they get to their finals. I mean, it is our grand march here in, in, in Illinois is second to none. I mean, it is just, uh, it, it just, you just get tingles. You know, that's all I can say. You get tingles uh, as you're walking um, in front of the people and hearing your name announced and just all the things that go with it. It's, it's just, it, it's second to none. I wouldn't trade the experience uh, with doing that. Mm -hmm. With very little would I ever uh, want to replace it with. Aww. I love the success story of you having these goals and achieving them. No, but like you said, you didn't you didn't make it to the state finals to compete, but you knew you were going to be there one way or another, and you made it. Yeah, and, and it, it, it it was a it was something that just drove me to to do it. I I, I just needed to do it for. Uh, just to see what it was. I mean, and I, and it's, it's just hard to explain. Those that have been there uh, will understand me, and those that are trying to get there, they'll, they'll kind of understand it too. Um, it's just something that you, if you're a wrestler, you want to be around the best yeah. in, in all situations. You, you just, you just want to be in that group somehow. So uh, I've, had, I've had a long run, and I've had fun doing it. Aww. Well, I love that. And I love that there's a bunch of people right now that are listening to this probably thinking, oh my gosh, I have the same dream. I have this goal. He achieved it. 
you're an inspiration to those people to keep working hard and doing what they got to do to make their dreams come true, too. Well, <laughs> you are. I guess. I you guess. I, I, you know. <laughs> So I, I don't want to be. I don't want to be. You know, walking down you. the street. Don't worry. <laughs> and somebody saying, "Oh, there's my inspiration." I mean, I don't want to be that guy. You are. Yeah. What are you talking about? I, I, mean, I, am, I wake up and I'm Tony Clark. He's inspired me. Well, the only no. Nah. Yes. I I literally that that is that is not something I set out to do um, because I've always walked through my career is I'm no better than the next guy. I am. I am. Just as good as the guy standing next to me, um, even after thirty plus years in the sport, I'm still learning. So I, I may have achieved some things, but am I the know-all or am I that 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 grand poobah of, of, of <laughs> officiating in Illinois? Not even close. Not even close. There there are people out there who. Uh, who taught me the ropes? Um, there's still people out there who give me advice. Uh, I still learn just watching the young people, because they're they're so full of enthusiasm and and, and, and uh, goals and desires. I, I'm still learning just to keep up with these guys. So, um, yeah, I if I aspire, that's good. But I'm not. That's not my goal in life is to be any. You know, is to be that guy that you know that. Uh, then where's that kind of title? You know, I, I want to be everybody. I want to be the guy that, yep, he was a good partner. He's a good guy to work the mats with. That's what I, I love to achieve. Well, that's what makes you even better because you're not out there trying to earn that title of role model inspiration. You just naturally are. It just exudes from you. So it just makes me happy to be sitting next to you. <laughs> okay, so you, you mentioned that you've learned so much and you're still learning. Who are some of your inspirations in the officiating world? Oh wow! There's a there's a lot of people that uh, helped me out in my career. Uh, there was a Bob Terry, uh, Harold Harold Samorian, um, Tom Hennef, uh Bruce Bartos, uh, Ray Weinsberg, John Shouse, Tim Dodge, Bill Honeycutt. I mean, there's just Greg Cozy. Randy Conrad, who wasn't an official, but he was a, a coach at an AD. Um, I got a lot of things out of him. Um, head coach at Libertyville High School, Dale Edgar. We've ref together, and uh, I've refed a lot of matches that he sat in the chair. I mean, there's just so many to name, but those are the ones that really come to mind. Uh, Wilbur Barrero from Antioch. Um, Bob Cockendall at Carmel Mundelein. Um Joe Scordino, who was the former head coach, he passed away years ago. But it was just, there's just been a lot of people, and they're not just all refs. There's refs, coaches, uh, athletic directors, um, just a lot of people who, who influenced me and um, were sounding boards when I needed to get better. Um, these were people who, who weren't afraid to pull me to the side or, or tap me on the shoulder and say, uh, Hey, you could you could do this better if you think about it this way. Um, these are people that you know; those that are still around that I still get to talk to. These are people I still bounce ideas off of when you know I have an idea about. Man, I wonder if we can use you know would this help in our training? Um, 
arena. So like currently, I mean, I have uh, people like Dan Fulcher and, and Mike Kirkus and um, my whole Bill Honeycutt and my whole um, clinician crew who, you know, I couldn't do this alone, create these training things um, and make them what we have today. I, I have a whole team of 16 other people and we work as one team. So right now they're my inspiration to uh, to keep doing my duties as the uh, head clinician. Um, my rules editor at the uh, NFHS, uh, Elliot Hopkins. I mean, he's he wasn't a wrestler, but he's in charge of editing the wrestling rules. And he's helped me to, you know, just with his questions, uh, have to think and, and, and really look at things um, differently. Um, so he's, he's another big inspiration. Like I said, there's so many people out there. I, I did not achieve anything alone at all so those are just some of the names and i apologize if i've forgotten any names but it is just it, it's literally hundreds of people who've influenced me to be where i am today mm-hmm. a special team of people around a very special person and speaking of special um you have fans <laughs> it's a thing it has happened and they've actually now that you've been doing these podcasts they've actually been writing in questions which i think is really cool so we actually got a question I wanted to make sure we addressed. Um, somebody actually wrote in wanting you to answer the following. What is the proper protocol for when a wrestler says they can't breathe? Hmm, that is a good question. That is a, that is one of those things. We call it a, a form of a tap out. And that has perplexed the rules committee um, at all levels. Um, what do you do when a wrestler says they can't breathe? Now, there's a misconception in, out there. A lot of people will tell you, if I can hear you talk, you can breathe. And that is a, that is starting to become a misconception. So the proper protocol, anytime an athlete is in distress, we as officials have to make a decision to stop the match or let that match continue, but we have to do so with that athlete's well-being in mind because there's so many reasons why an athlete um, can't breathe. It could be a panic moment. It could be claustrophobic. Um, it is true if, if, if they truly couldn't breathe um, because of a hole, that you, you would probably hear a little bit more distress, but uh, in today's society, those words mm-hmm. are um, sobering, and it is our responsibility to make sure no harm comes to that athlete if they're in that type of distress. So, uh, you know, if you'd asked me this question 30, 40 years ago, I, I would have said toughen up <laughs> as a coach, but uh, in light of our world today, um, we're going to stop that match. Mm-hmm. and, and see to that athlete's well-being if they use that as a tactic to get out of something the rules are written um to punish them for that Mm -hmm. it's not our job to punish them for that statement by ignoring it Mm -hmm. and the worst thing that can happen what if they couldn't breathe 
what if when we do stop that match that we we have a problem mm -hmm. and none of us officials wake up in the morning to go out there to uh want to see anyone get hurt on our watch so um that's a very good question and i hope that uh, all the officials realize safety first mm -hmm. so if an athlete's in distress we will we will make the decision and come to the conclusion um to stop the match if, if we can't help them through it but uh the, um that's tough that that, that that is a very tough one that is that has bothered a lot of people over the years what to really do there mm -hmm. so i would say just stop the match and you know especially if you're, you're doing kids level and, and uh, middle school level um and we're going to be cautious at the varsity level um also but you know, we got to make sure that at, at the end of the match, both wrestlers are able to stand up, face yeah. each other, shake hands, and, 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 and say we did a good job. Yeah. You made a great point, though, that if we were to ask you this question, you know, years ago, so things have changed dramatically, especially in the world today. <laughs> what are some other changes you've seen from, you know, even just 10, 15 years ago in the sport of wrestling, specifically as an official, versus what you're seeing today? Um, one of the main things that I've seen is the official coach relationship is gotten so much better. Um, years and years ago, I mean, it was it was pretty adversarial. I mean, and, and it's adversarial by nature. The referee is the person in charge. Uh, their authority is absolute. Um, and the time I spent coaching. Helped me under it helped me to understand that that dynamics better because um, there was a lot of times I sat there as a coach and I, I saw something being called wrong, mm -hmm. but I weighed I weighed was that a judgment call was that a rule uh, mistake and then I can address the official correctly. But even I met officials as I was coming up in my young years of officiating and coaching. I met officials who were just you know they didn't want to talk about it. They were just blatant, like, it's my call, and that's the way the call is going to be, and if you don't like it, you can leave. And, boy, I, I, that, as a coach, that, that's rough when you don't even have a say-so. So, so I, I know we have evolved um, from that for the most point. I mean, you know, there's probably some coaches out there are still going to say, well, the officials still have that attitude. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of people that have come across me in my career that have said, Tony had that attitude. I mean, I, I, you know, I was not always uh, the kindest person as a referee. I had to learn that as I matured um, that we all have a part to play in, in this sport, and, and one can't exist without the other. Uh, I can't referee without the wrestlers. The wrestlers don't really exist without the coaches. Um, none of us are here without the parents who are also known as the fans. We wouldn't exist. So we are all dependent on each other. Uh, the rules have really evolved um, since I started. Um, I mean, they, they are, they, there's some drastic changes. They are not the rules that uh, I wrestled under and grew up um, the early part of my career. Um, I've been fortunate enough to be able to help affect some of the changes that I think and the rest of the committee thinks uh, will further our sport and grow it. Um, so that that is the biggest thing, just the, the relationship between the official and the athletes, the coaches, and the fans. I think that has gotten so much better as 
I've grown into the sport. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about, for those of people that are maybe listening that are interested in becoming a wrestling official, what does it take to get involved in this sport? Or what, what's required of a wrestling official? What's the commitment and how do they get involved? So the first thing a person who wants to get involved to be a wrestling official, the first thing they need to do is ask themselves a question. Can they take criticism, both positive mm. and negative? Because you have to, we call it thick skin. Mm -hmm. You have to have that ability, that suit of armor that you can put on when you go out there. Because wrestling is an aggressive sport. So the fans are aggressive, the athletes are aggressive, the coaches are aggressive. Your fellow officials are aggressive. So people are going to say things that you have to have the ability to filter and let them bounce and roll away from you. I hear so many times from official, you know, the fans are yelling at me, telling me how bad I am. The coach is yelling at me, <laughs> keeps taking me to the table. The other officials are saying, wow, you really should go out and do basketball. I mean, you have to have a thick set of skin that you can put on, I call it armor, um, to take that criticism because criticism helps us to grow. And a lot of people look at it as negative. I don't, and I never have. Sometimes I have to hear it. Mm -hmm. I'll reevaluate it to see, well, maybe I wasn't the best that day, or maybe I did get that call wrong. So that's the first question you have to, you have to ask yourself. Can you accept negative and positive criticism? Because sometimes positive criticism yeah. can hurt your feelings. Um, so if you, if you can answer yes to that, um, then you go to the IWCOA.net IWC website and you click a button and, and say, I want to be an official. And it will give you all the directions to become a high school official. It will give you the directions if you want to get involved with the uh, IKWF in the USA. Um, if you become a high school official, you automatically become an IESA official mm -hmm. to do the middle schools. So that would be step two. Step three um, your first commitment, if you if you answer yes to the criticism <laughs> and you go to the website and hit that button and, and get the information, step three is you're going to find out about clinics that you can attend. And you will come to those clinics and you will be with officials of all walks of life, guys that have worked, you know, 20 plus state tournaments, people that are climbing to get there. Um, people with 40 years in the thing, people with, like, could be the new official with one year. Mm -hmm. We all come together uh, for these training clinics, and you'll find someone there to uh, hopefully mentor you mm -hmm. through your career. Um, but there's a lot of information to be had attending the clinic. So that's a commitment level to sit in a room mm -hmm. with a bunch of people um, for four hours, because our <laughs> clinics are a minimum of four hours learning what you thought you knew about the sport. You know, if you were a former wrestler or a coach and thought, oh, I know these rules, you come and you, come and you will learn uh, what you think, thought you knew about the sport. So there's that part of it. Um, then you have to ask yourself, how much time do I want to put into this? Um, we have a, a signer site out there that... Uh, me and a bunch of other wrestler signers in the Chicagoland area use to 
do our assigning and you're going to have to have a little bit of computer savvy to use this uh the days of uh paper contracts and <laughs> and signing in pencil are over everything's uh, been digitized unless and your on name the is Ray Weinsberg and you still hold on to the pen pencil and paper <laughs> yes he is he is still one of our dinosaurs uh even one of our other signers, John Schaus, has evolved. Um, but my good buddy Ray is, is he's, he's, he's coming along. He is. He's coming along. I would like to give a public service announcement, though. You're saying that it's a little bit more difficult with technology, but if Ray Weinsberg can do it, anyone can do it. <laughs> anyone can do it. That is right. So nobody should ever be afraid. Yes. Uh, Ray has made it this far. Um so once you, you, you get into the assigning system, you as the official have a schedule there in front of you and you can decide how much you want to commit because it's like anything else in this world, you're only going to get better mm -hmm. by doing. Mm -hmm. So if you have a goal to, to move up to the varsity level one day, you know, within four to five years, you're going to have to get out there and take matches. But that's the nice thing about it. Everything's in, at your control, um, you know, based on your job commitment, your family commitments and things like that. You have that, that right there on that screen to look at and say, these are the dates I can work. These are the days I'm going to block out. And that's how you, you set the commitment to hone your skills. Um, and then after, it, it, when you make it that far to get into the assigner site, the biggest next biggest commitment you have to make is you're going to have to agree with yourself that you're going to be like a sponge mm. and learn and learn and learn like i said earlier i'm still learning mm -hmm. from people after 30 plus years mm -hmm. and that's a necessity you can't you can't the day you reach um the the state of mind where there's nothing else for you to learn it's probably time to retire um that was like the old uh kung fu series from the 70s um when david uh Carradine, as a young student when he had learned all there was for them to learn they called him grasshopper then it would be time for him to leave and i think mm -hmm. when he could snatch the stone mm -hmm. from the master's hand that was his signal that he, he has to go. I never in the sport of wrestling want to be able to snatch the stone from my master's hand because that means I'm done. Mm -hmm. I, there's nothing more for me to learn, and I never want to get to that position. And any official who wants to get to the top, they have to have the mentality, I'm never going to stop learning. Mm -hmm. That's a great mindset. And I do want to say, too, from being an outsider, I've never wrestled. I've just grown up around it my whole life, between you and my dad. And it's, it really is a family. I've noticed that all of you guys, all of the officials, the clinicians, all of you, you guys look out for each other. And once you're in this family, so any aspiring refs that want to come into this, you get to walk into this great group of people you said that have such a, a varied background, and all they have to do is ask for help. You guys are right there to help guide them in any possible way to help them achieve whatever their specific goal within this sport is. Yeah, and that's, that's, again, that's what, what is really unique about uh, our training. I mean, I'm one of 17-plus clinicians in this sport, and we all have the mentality, the philosophy mm -hmm. that 
we're only as good as the weakest link. And we take pride when a new official goes out there and does a good job. We take even more pride when they come back year <laughs> after the year um, to, to do this. Uh, Mike Kirkus uh, found a young man at his high school uh, who was a junior last year who wasn't going to wrestle for various reasons. And he took him under his wing and he got him out there on the mat and, and he worked with him. And this young man, after just a couple of months uh, refereeing, he gets a lot of compliments. There's a lot of people who say, you can put this young man in our building at, at the lower level any day. So those are the things we, we, we want to uh, work towards. So yes, we're a family and wrestling takes care of its own. And it's not just we're a family as wrestling officials, we're a family with the fans, we're a family with the coaches. Um, there's a lot of wrestlers who, who now officiate. I've had them on my mat. There's a ton of coaches who coach. I've had them on my mat. I mean, I think I'm uh, getting to the point. I, I got people's grandkids Aww. who are actually out there on my mat yeah. that, that I refereed them. So, you know, I'm, I'm getting to be around a little bit too long. But, uh, yes, this is, this is the, and that's the one thing I like about it. It is a family. I didn't feel this family atmosphere in cross country. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel it in, in, in track and field um, back then. But I knew it was a family in wrestling. When you go out there on the mat in that, in that arena, and not just your teammates on the bench are cheering for you, but their parents are cheering for you. Uh, other people from the school who happen to be there are cheering for you. Um, and that's that was the one thing because my mom, I think my mom probably saw maybe one, maybe two <laughs> matches in my life. And but that didn't bother me so much because there were other mothers, there were other fathers sitting in the stands that you know would you know they'd be like, oh, you you did a, you did okay, oh, or no. <laughs> you know you could have done better, or you know that's what I said. Even as a wrestler, you have to have thick skin. Yeah. But there were a lot of people who supported you. Yeah. Um, Back in those days, uh, and I mean, it still happens now. Um, but yeah, this is this is we're we're a close knit family. I mean, if I had to choose which people, you know, from the three sports that I've done, if I had to choose which three people to uh, take with me in the battle, it's going to be the wrestling people. Because, you know, the cross-country people, they run away. <laughs> the track and field run away. But the wrestling people, they will stay in that arena and fight with you. You know, through thick and thin, through through victory or defeat, um, we 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 surround each other and, and support each other. Mm. I got a little I got a little goosebumps to hear in this. That's exciting. Well, this amazing family atmosphere, all of this. We've talked about all of your amazing accomplishments. What piece of advice would you give to somebody starting out or somebody with big goals and aspirations to follow in your footsteps, to make it to a director level, to represent a district, to make it to the Hall of Fame? What piece of advice would you give for them? Love what you're about to get into. And I mean, you have to love officiating unconditionally. Mm -hmm. there, there can be no, no wavering from that love that you have for this profession because when you when you can look at it from that level um, then you're gonna have the empathy and the compassion 
necessary to help you identify with the athletes, help you identify with the coaches, help you identify with the fans. Because we're in a service job. We're there to serve all of those people. Our job is to level a playing field and keep those athletes safe. And that's a big responsibility, given that we are also uh, sometimes judge, jury, and executioner out there because we do have a lot of power. And it becomes absolute in a lot of situations. So if you love this profession, you will love it enough not to abuse that power. You will love it enough to study the rules, to study situations, to network like you need to network so you can find people to help you get better. But it, it, takes, it takes a dedicated mindset and a person who really loves being out there because it's rough. Um, going out there sometimes and, and, and having an off night and, and being yelled at and, 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 and ridiculed. Um, but it's not impossible. It's not impossible. But when you love something enough, you will, you will make it through the ups and downs um, for better or worse. You, you won't walk away from the sport. And that's the advice. I mean, you have to, you have to move into this and love what you're about to do. And if you can do that, you'll be successful. Mm -hmm. I don't even know where to go from that. That's a mic drop moment right there. <laughs> mic drop with Tony Clark. Um, thank you for coming and chatting. And there's so many things about you that I didn't know. I learned so much about you today. And this is just the beginning because I feel like we have a lot more to talk about. So. I would like to tell everybody to stay tuned because more from Tony Clark will be coming in an episode in the future. <laughs> so this has been Sound the Whistle with Tony Clark. Thank you guys for listening and make sure you check back for the next episode. Thank you, Susan. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Be sure and follow me on Instagram, ILWrestlingRef. Or you can follow me on Twitter at AssignerGuy, A-S-S-I-G-N-R-G-U-I, to be notified of new podcast episodes. Thank you, and have a great day.